Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. Good morning, this is Annie for Showreel and uh, this is 3CR's little look at Australian film and moving image and today we're going to hear from a very interesting chap called Lawrence Johnson who has made a film called Neon which is going to be showing at the Nova starting next week, I believe. And uh, he is an interesting chap because he's got a very long history in filmmaking in Australia. Now, uh, before we get on to that, uh, Essential Independence American Cinema, which started last night, uh, it might conflict with what uh, any St Kilda Film Festival people who might be going off to the opening night of St Kilda Film Festival tonight. But I do have five double passes to a Q&A a session with uh, the Essential Independence American Cinema's guest, who is Anna Rose Holman, uh, Homer, who has made a film called The Fits. It's a very interesting film, I'll have to say. And it's going to there's going to be a Q&A and there's going to be a screening of her film 6.30 at Como, which is in Paran. You just have to get on the uh, number eight tram from the city and it will take you to Chapel Street and you get off and walk across the road and there's the wonderful Como. Anyway, that's at 6.30. If you want to ring up on 94198377, that's... Nine four one nine eight three seven seven. You can uh, leave your name, and you'll have your name on the door for that particular event tonight at six thirty at the Como. But we need to get on because Lawrence had lots to tell me. So Lawrence Johnson, here we go. So uh, in the studio this morning, we've got Lawrence Johnson, who has just made a film called Neon. It's a documentary, an homage to the fantastic uh, form of uh, neon lights that can be made into great art and its history. Hello, how are you? Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Now, um, as we were just speaking before we start talking about this great film, Neon... Can you tell me a little bit about your film background, Lawrence? I came from a background very working class, so nobody in my family was really creative. And my journey. Well, they might have been, but nobody knew. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) My my journey took me to um, the Swinburne Film School here in Melbourne. I grew up in Brisbane. And um, so I did a BA uh, there, three years of filmmaking. And I was lucky enough to come out with a one hour film that was selected for the Cannes Film Festival called Night Out. There was a drama. And then after that, I made Eternity about Arthur Stace, who wrote the word... Before you go on, it must have been thrilling. Did you go to Cannes? I did. 
Yeah. Oh, how thrilling is that? Yes. It was also named one of the year's 10 best in the village voice. So I was very pleased about that. So it was a lovely debut. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, well, you couldn't go, do anything but continue with your filmmaking career after that. Yeah. Then I did Eternity, which um, is a fairly well-known, famous documentary now, which is about an unusual character called Arthur Stace. And he wrote the word Eternity in chalk across the sidewalks of Sydney for more than 40 years. And it was an incredible story that I just sort of got enamoured with. And I worked with Dion Beebe, the Oscar-winning cinematographer on that. He shot the film um, before he went to Hollywood and he won and won some awards for Eternity. But now he's gone on to do, you know, he did Chicago and Memoirs of a Geisha. And um, that was a great collaboration. And it was one of those films that made me realise that when you tell stories, you don't just tell them in terms of content about story itself. It's also about visual storytelling. And um, that's been with me for all of my career, I guess, in the way I tell make films yeah well that explains uh one of the questions i wanted to ask what attracted you to making a documentary about neon yeah well i i guess in some ways neon could be seen as a bit of a trilogy because in eternity we did some beautiful neons because his the content was about signage and people reading the word eternity and it was such a beautiful script he used it was in copper plate script yes and so we made a very, I suppose you'd say, an unabashedly romantic documentary. I always called it a romantic documentary because it's got a very lush score and we recreated um, and Sydney. It's also and a, it's also a story about the city, isn't it? Yeah, it's a city. Of, yeah. It's about the identity of the city and the film is sort of, you know, I wouldn't say the word's postmodern, but, you know, there is then and now. So you could actually look at the film and look at it as a historical piece, but also it uses the actor walking through places that you can see now. So it's like his spirit is still within the city as a character. And, you know, um, making the film also made people look at it and put it on the bridge for 2000 when they put Eternity on the bridge. That's um, right. I, I actually remember this. And uh, I, uh, I knew the story about the man who walked around but I, and I did see your film mm. uh, so it, it's uh, it did give this impression of the ghost that walks within the walls of the place it, mm. it's quite fascinating actually mm. it's quite haunting really yeah sense. I think so too and so it's a trilogy neon's oh, a trilogy so um so in, in eternity we did things like um we documented like there's a fabulous neon at the shadow it's called shadow tananda for rum in Hyde Park which still exists and the reason I mention is because these things don't exist and people, like many things in society, just are dropping away through progress. Um, mainly people save buildings, but rarely do they save things like signs or neon signs because obviously there's an upkeep on them. And then when I got to make the film Night, uh, again, it was a visual representation of the world at night, very stylized with a big score by Cesare Skubyshevsky, who's one of our fabulous composers here in, in Australia and Victoria. And um, we put a number of neons in that. And then I thought, you know, because to make a film, you've got to justify, is there a story? You've got to research it. You've got to go out and convince people to raise the money. So I, I researched it through the help of Film Victoria and Screen Australia. I went to America. Um, I researched it there because that was the most dynamic, I guess, and progressive story within the neon sphere because neon basically came from Europe, from Paris, uh, across the water to uh, the US, and then it spread like wildfire throughout the 20s. We have a neon history in Australia as well, and there is international neon throughout the film. But I guess, you know, as the cards laid down in terms of where you refine your research, it's like you go, okay... George Claude supposedly, you know, invented neon, but in fact a number of other people invented it and he perfected the electrodes. So you have to deal with scientific information as well like when you're making a film like this because obviously it has to be believable, it has to be beautiful, and it has to tell a story over 85 minutes. Which it does. And uh, like you say, you do centre a lot on uh, certain places like Times Square, Las Vegas. Uh, you, you touch on Havana, Hong Kong, Sydney, 
Osaka. And, but by that stage, we're now we're completely drenched in the notion of neon and uh, its connection to America. And I collected a whole lot of, uh, of the words associated with neon that you use in the film. So it might give people an idea like commercialism versus mystery, exquisite, uh, turns night into day, exuberance, a phantasm, magical, spectacle, the American West, the spirit of America. They, I mean, it just goes on and on and on uh, how neon has this alive quality, which was another word that someone used, alive. Now, you had to do an incredible amount of research because this particular documentary is built around research, isn't it? Yes. Tell me about that journey. Well, it's definitely not, you know, a fly-on-the-wall documentary. I mean, Not at all. There are many films that are made, particularly for television now, where they f- follow somebody around, they pick up a digital camera and they spend three weeks with them, you know. Yeah. And I think that's great and it's great for a cause and great. it helps things. Um, but then I kind of think about those films sometimes. Who are the audiences? Because usually they're white middle-class people and they, while they're well-intentioned by filmmakers – you know, I, I question sometimes, do they really advance someone's cause? I guess my style of filmmaking is exploring things on a more sort of, I guess, a substantial longevity kind of stream in a sense. You know, I guess the films I make are, um, they're a little bit more classically put together. Um, usually they are to do with history as well. And because, so, and artefacts. Yeah. Artefacts, but also the intangible element that these artefacts deliver to society. Yeah. Yeah, because the thing is, film is such a wonderful transportable medium, and it you know it brings in story, research, visuals, performance, archival film, photographs, sound recordings. You know, through the making of my Fallout film about Neville Shoot, which was the previous to this, I got to meet Gregory Peck, and I did an audio interview with him oh, at the um, you know the Windsor, and you know that was kind of a highlight of my career because you know I didn't have the money to make my Fallout film at that stage, but he was in town and and he was just a perfect gentleman. And then in the Fallout film, we used his audio later, and he said some really beautiful things about Stanley Kramer coming to make the film, but also his relationship, which was platonic, with Ava Gardner, and because you know she was quite a character. And so you know it takes you on all stra- different strands with your work. Um, you know we interviewed Neville Shute's daughter in San Francisco as part of that film and Karen Kramer who's Stanley Kramer's wife in Los Angeles and Donna Anderson that was in the original film she played opposite Tony Perkins so in that film that was a whole lot of things and then coming back to Neon it was going to the Boneyard in Las Vegas and going okay what is this place learning about that learning that there was a contemporary edge to Neon it wasn't just his in historical, uh, people make new neon. People save neon. They were neon pretty now. stunning. I'll have to say the art was stunning. I love neon yeah. personally. I mean, well, what's not to love about neon? What's what we say is it, it's kind of got that happy feeling, you know. And yeah. I love the glow on people's faces of neon. Like we had end, we had extra material for the film, and I was thinking I always wanted to glow a bit because I said to people, I, one of the interview questions was, "Can you talk about neon and its glow, the effect on people?" Yeah. But you know, in the final cut of the film, things you like had that to leave had to it go. away. Yeah. But you had a sec- in it where, and I'll have to say that the choices of movie uh, sections, the clips, were fantastic. Yeah, I just ah oh, the the film noir uh, sections that you decided to use, and the sequence where uh, what is it the two uh, oh from um, Vertigo where they kiss and their faces are bathed green yeah. yeah bathed in green. Well, see, many people don't know eye. that um, that you know. 
I won't spoil the story, but basically, no, no. you know, there was a change in um, the way people viewed neon and it found itself into popular culture in the late 40s and early 50s. And so neon was always seen as, you know, potentially if it was broken neon as well, it was the seedy side of town. Mm. You know, like in our film, we have someone comment on Janet Lee driving to the Bates Motel in Psycho. And of course, you know what happens is you see a bad ne- you see a neon in the rain, you know something bad's going to happen to her. That's right. <laughs> Tune in to On Screen and find out more about what's on the big and the small screen each Saturday, 11am till 12 noon on 3CR. It's a program on film, on filmmakers and on film festivals. It's called On Screen, Mm, but it's on the radio, 3CR. And indeed you are on 3CR. This is uh, Annie on Showreel. And uh, just to remind you that uh, we've got some double passes for the Fitz and uh, Q&A with the director, Anna Rose Homer at the Palace Cinema Como th- th- tonight at 6.30pm if you're interested. So give us a call on 94198377. Leave your name so that we can put your name on the door. Now, today we're having a yarn with Lawrence Johnson about his wonderful documentary, Neon, which is going to be showing at the Nova. So let's continue with our chat with Lawrence. You're on 3CR with Annie on Showreel. One of your special skills is to make sure that the music is fantastic. And the music was fantastic, or is fantastic in yeah. your film. Anthony Partos did the music. He did the slap for television. He did the Guy Pearce film, The Rover. Uh, he just did Jan Pendham's documentary that's in the cinemas now called Sherpa. He just won an award oh, for really? his music. Sherpa's yeah. great. Yeah. And uh, we used some of Cesari's music, uh, Cesari Skubyshevsky, like I mentioned before, and then some other just sort of extra music that we we found that we wanted to use. Well, it's but, great tonally. I was sitting there thinking, oh, gee, this has just taken me somewhere else. Well, the thing is, if you're expecting people to come to the movies to see a documentary these days, you've got to make it special. And I think Neon is a really special film because you have an experience that's a positive experience. You're not going to see... You know, there's there's no swearing in the film. It's not violent. Um, children could see neon. They could learn. It's educative. Uh, it's entertaining. You get a bit of a laugh out of it. You know, you might even get a bit of a cry. I've heard from some people who've seen it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's interesting because, uh, like you said, it uh, t- it covers uh, a lot of bases, and you have to. Uh, Give information out that are te- is technical, and I noticed that the the patterning that you used in actually creating the film it uh, in fact I wrote it down um, it interested me so much it was history technical history technical you made decisions when you were doing the editing so yeah. that it took us along yeah the, the audience along and you have to do it in a way that's accessible and also you know people's attention spans are only so much for certain information because sometimes you know you might go oh. I'm interested in doing this, but these aspects of the story are actually quite boring and really, you know, you you just have enough of them for the audience to understand and then you move on, you know. I guess for me, I've always, when I interview people who form the bed of all the information, because there's no voiceovers in my films, apart from the people who are on screen, they're the ones telling the story and they need to tell it as engagingly as possible. And there's some really great characters in Neon that are really endearing. Yeah, Um, yeah. They love, they love. They love it. You really chose well. How did you get onto these people? Well, I... It's a journey like every film where you meet people and then you obviously have to decide in cull. One of my favourite characters is a woman called Tamar Starr and she 
is a New York Jewish uh, woman whose father owned the Artcraft Strauss Company, and she's in her seventies now. And she, when she came in, because sometimes you don't meet people apart from talking to them on the telephone before you interview them for the film. And she came in, and she was really like I always said to someone, she was like um, one of the women that used to be on Romper Room, or you know, like she was like a school teacher, very articulate, very smooth, very knew her stuff, but had a really gorgeous way with words. And in Neon, she says um, something like um describing colour because there's a little bit on colour she said it's that red it's just that red it's just like lipstick that's right she does is she she about how old did you say she is she's in her 70s my god she doesn't look it yeah she's pretty good (laughs) yeah she's pretty cool woman I'll tell you what she's really uh, got the uh, essence of neon down and it's vibrancy in relation to historical context yeah I also love there's a man called Alan Hess he's an architect he lives in California and he's written some books on Frank Lloyd Wright and other people and um, he came to the interview and again another one you know because I live in Australia and we had to just meet him on the day um, he was un- he was very um, what was it surprising because sometimes you think oh they're only going to be one little part of the film but then you realize they're so fabulous you just want to keep using them but you've got to be careful not to use the same person too much but he's he's thread throughout the film and says some t- really terrific stuff uh, were they surprised that an Australian came to make a film about what they think is quintessentially American because it's quite clear yeah, they do they were but you know I guess sort of with me it's like you know Nobody in Sydney made the film Eternity. See, I come from Brisbane and I live in Melbourne for most of my life I have. Mm. And it's like it takes an outsider sometimes to come in and see it for and have perspective on the subject. And, you know, because with all these places in America that we just don't have that save neon, you think, well, why hasn't someone done it before? You know, there have been short things on neon, but this is actually the first worldwide documentary that's been made full-length feature on Neon. Mm. Mm. Which is quite extraordinary. And that leads me to ask you a question about the backgrounds that you used in behind your interviewees. Yeah. So you made decisions about that. Yeah. Well, the visual style of the film, for me, has to be as beautiful, as seamless as possible. It can't have chinks and stuff. And, you know, I mean, that's a silly thing to say in a sense, but, but um, the backgrounds... No, but I understand, because it, it's, it's why you chose the music... It's uh, there's some patterning, visual patterning going on. Yeah. Well, with this one um, and with other films I've made, I've always had backgrounds behind people. Like I made a film on the women who were the Jacaranda Queens in Grafton. Oh, yeah, right. And um, we literally put slides of them behind them. Um, so if a woman was in her 60s, it was when she was a Jacaranda Queen when she was 18. Oh, or if she was if she was 20 now, it would have been two years ago you know, when we made the yeah. film, just her. So that was a really sweet thing to do. In this one, we used a green screen. So then we had a choice of what neons we put behind different people. And so we just chose people sometimes for the way they looked, but also their location. So if somebody was from Las Vegas, we would just essentially have something that was quintessentially about the subject they were talking. So the, when the viewer watches them, you know, you're not going to have something from another country or New York or something like that. But we wanted to make sure that they were framed in a way and lit beautifully. And Aaron Sheehan, he's a cinematographer and he's also a writer and director of his own ilk. He photographed um, the Neon film and he also photographed the Once a Queen film about the women in Jacaranda. And then I made a very personal film about my parents' marriage for SBS called The Dream of Love, and he photographed that. So that's a great collaboration. And I also need to mention Bill Murphy, the editor, because he's been instrumental in collaborating with in terms of story. Uh, And, you know, he's always fantastic in terms of, I guess, you know, 
I can like I can go out and research and write it and film it and interview all these people, but at the end of the day, it's mm-hmm. what the viewer sees in the film, <laughs> and he puts it together with me, you know, in and we get on really well. So this is the fourth picture we've done together. Yeah. How, how long did it uh, take you to do the? Well, there's three parts to this. You you've got quite a complex array of funders, and then you've got a complex array of material, and then you've got the edit. Yeah, well, it's funny because um I. Talked to different producers about the idea, and they said, lovely idea, glazed over, don't know how we'll raise the money. I talked to Veronica Fury. She basically has a gung-ho attitude, and she just goes, I love the idea. I don't know how we're going to raise the money, but let's move forward. So then, you know, we got the development money. I did it. Really, the development was probably about, I mean, the development really took what, a few months, really. But then, of course, you know, you do more and more and more as you're going to make the film. The film was shot in three weeks in the US and it was edited in three months in Melbourne. Wow, that's really tight. Yeah. You're, you're a tight outfit. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you've collected together like-minded and proficient people. Well, particularly, you know, with cinematographers, I've worked with a few different people. Like I said, Dion Beebe. I work with Mandy Walker on. I made a prison drama called Life many years ago. And um, Mandy shot uh, Australia, the Baz Luhrmann film. Yeah, yeah, I know Mandy Walker. I worked with Laurie McInnes on Night, and that was a really strong collaboration. And then Aaron, because he'd done these other films, and he's based overseas now, I just thought, you know, he's pretty good, so, you know, let's just continue it. And he was really into the subject. And that's the thing is when you're collaborating with people, you don't want somebody to not be interested. They need to, you know, come to the party and bring something to it. And not just sort of sit there and per- turn the button on, you know. And and he was great. And I'd work with him again in a flash. You had a script. Yeah, we had a we had a uh, treatment, and we had visual uh, references. And I had a list. Literally, when we went to the US, we had um, time to do interviews in the studio in Los Angeles. We did um, some in Cincinnati, some in Las Vegas, and some in New York. So then we had minimal time left to do street shoots so Ben I had basically a shot list of locations and we went around to them based on my research and we photographed them in different places so we would either do you know close-ups of them we do some with people so obviously there was a movement within the frame um some were referenced from interviews and so you know if we knew yeah, yeah, it, there like one things. guy said something and you and then you found it yeah well in new york there's this great guy called kenny greenberg and he saved the pepsi cola sign oh, and fantastic, when yeah. i say that people might go well who wants to save a pepsi cola sign but it's fantastic yeah, in it's fact beautiful. we we lost our coca cola one in melbourne yeah i i wait i still go to that intersection and think how could they have possibly got rid of that coca cola sign yeah but anyway by the way what's that bob dylan line something about you till it's gone you know yeah yeah you never miss it till it's gone yeah but it's true with signs because signs to do are to do with many things and through the research of this film making this film they they are very romantic whether we realize them or not because sometimes they're associated with our childhood and going with parents to holidays, particularly motel culture, yeah, yeah, yeah. fish and chip shops, milk bars, um, you know, places that yeah, just yeah, the ordinary yeah. place that you go. I've you... always had this ongoing love affair with typography. I just I spent a whole period of my life running a desktop publishing um, outfit because I was in love with how these things were made. Mm. So to see it in lights as mm. well is mm. just 
almost unbearably exciting to me. And when you see, um, you know, sort of different fonts in neon, like, yeah. you know, this afternoon I'm going to have a photograph taken with me for the age at the Pellegrini sign. Oh, lovely. And yeah. they said to me, what's an iconic Melbourne neon? And I said, well, there's, you know, we could go to the Skipping Girl or we could go to the Regent Theatre. But I said, for me, I love what's called, I mean, this is very generic, but people have called it the spaghetti style yeah. because literally it's like spaghetti on the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love it that it's not up high. I love it that it's accessible. I love it that, you know, Pellegrini really has been there for so it's long. it's underlined in yeah. a way that's that, that square yeah. with these curves. It's fantastic. And, and, and the red. The red is amazing. And the Florentinos are, is nearby is the same. Yeah. I'm with you on this. Yeah. I, I just I I think it's lovely that someone has actually taken the time to but then you go into art. People make it into art. Yes. Which well, is just so special. Yeah. I mean, um neon, again, like when it started to fall out of favour a bit because plastics came in, mm. um, people started to use it, you know, artists started to use it. And there's some fantastic neon artists throughout history, you know. Um Chrissa, a Greek um, uh, woman, she was fantastic. Um, oh, you know, we have, what's her name, Tracy Emman, the London um, neon artist, Lily Luckich in Los Angeles, and people use it either in the studio for sculpture or they use it as external sculptures as well. Um, Keith Sonia is an amazing American artist and he does a lot of work in Europe on buildings and architecture, modern work, as well as his stuff that he does for, for the gallery. So the great thing about neon is it's sort of like it's sort of come full circle. And then even like along, you know, Brunswick Street and Chapel Street in Melbourne here, we have new businesses where they've invested money and made their own. They, they said, no, we don't want a, a metal sign or a painted sign. We want a neon sign. And there's some really great ones which sometimes aren't necessarily words, but they're shapes about, um, like in Brisbane, yeah. I saw one recently where it was a woman's just an outline of a high heel for a shoe shop. Uh, one was a wiener for a burger place down Chapel Street. It's, I mean, it's contemporary, it's vintage, it's all sorts of things. But the lovely thing is that affects you is the glow because it's it's there's nothing like that striking thing particularly in the rain yeah yeah mm. and and i do appreciate the uh end part where it talks about leds because uh, i went to china recently and i went to a place where they've got a whole ceiling that changes but w- at one of them is of being underwater with the with fish and it's the whole ceiling and i'm thinking this is just free entertainment in the park i mean <laughs> So even though uh, and it's nice to have lead um, being compared to neon or neon compared to lead because they're actually not the same, no. but they're equally exciting yeah. in their own ways. Yeah, yeah. One doesn't replace the other. No, they have different qualities. I think the thing is there's discussion about the longevity of LED and, um, you know, it does have a colder, whiter light. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's quite different, but... They are they are quite different things, and I think you know it's to because be... of they're in love with screens. Yeah, it's all about it, it's the um it's the thing about uh, screen world. We're yeah. in screen world. Now. Yeah, well, literally Times Square, as you'll see at the end of the film, has become like Blade Runner was. You know, in that film, yeah, um, a series of big television sets out in the um the landscape. Um, but the thing about them, that I said to people, is that you know it takes away the memory factor because as beautiful as Charlie's Theron may be in a gold gown, you know, advertising Dior. She's not going to be there next week. No. She's something else is going to replace her. But with a neon, it's something that's there until it's taken down. And it could be there for decades throughout someone's childhood into, you know, the next lot of the next generation or whatever, you know. Well, and- it, it leads into those words, you know, like um, magical, spectacular, um, 
there is a, there's a whole whole range of these words that um, that you relate that people just keep giving to you mm. that relate to their feelings. I drew, about drew them out of them because yeah. every time I interview people, for me, I I always like I think that people need to well I need to draw out for myself emotions in people about a subject, even if it might be about nuclear war, you know, it's it also when you make a film, it has to have an emotional, for me, it has to have an emotional well, edge. You that's know? what it is. It, uh, film is emotion. And also, you know, I'm making a film about neon signs, so it's pretty dry. It's about metal and glass. And so it needs to be, for me, you know, it needs to be an entertaining film and an interesting, informative film. And um, and I think we've achieved that, yeah. Mm, I think you have too. Thanks. Good on you. You were going to tell people about a, um, a screening that's coming up next Wednesday. Uh, yes, next Wednesday there's a preview at the Nova at 6.30. And Stephen Bannum, who is a graphic designer from Letterbox Studios, he also wrote a wonderful book called Characters that Thames and Hudson uh, produced about a year ago. And it's all on Melbourne signs. And part of it is on Neon. But he's going to do a Q&A with me after the screening. So that's next Wednesday at 6.30 at the Nova. And then the film starts there for its season on June 2. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for coming in and talking to me. Oh, thank you so much for being into the film. That's great. Good on you, mate. Bye. (laughs) Yeah, well, that was Lawrence, Lawrence Johnston. And as as I said, he had lots to say and his film's great. So go down to Nova and uh, and, uh, go and check it out. Coming up next is uh, Published or Not. I'll go out with a very dreamy number. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.